This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and introceptive awareness. Relatively new term. I don't think you see it a lot out there about ADHD, but I'm going to tell you we have Dr. Roberto Olivardia with us in our studio to talk about it, who is a spectacular guest. He has an uncanny way of taking complicated things and make it really easy for us all to understand. And I've been coaching for 12 years, and all of a sudden I run into this, and it's a, it's a really important concept I think is really, really helpful. Uh, we're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show um, and write down the secret word of that show and then just email me the, the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show. Do you need resources to help you or your loved one manage the challenges ADHD brings to your life? Chad has more than 120 local chapters and support groups across the United States. Our chapters empower those whose lives are affected by ADHD by sharing reliable, evidence-based information and practical strategies. To learn more about our chapters and how you can become a volunteer, visit chad.org and click on Get Involved. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. Okay, everybody, we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, with us in our virtual studio is Dr. Roberto Olivardia. He's a lecturer of psychology at the Harvard Medical School. He maintains a private psychotherapy practice in Lexington, Massachusetts, where he specializes in the treatment of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, and obsessive compulsive disorder. He also specializes in the treatment of eating disorders in boys and men. Co-author of Adonis Complex, a book which details the various manifestations of body image problems in men. Um, he's presented at many talks and conferences around the country, including the CHAD conference annually, and sits as a professional advisory board on children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and the Attention Deficit Disorder Association. So with all that, Dr. Olivardi, welcome to the show. Great being here, Jeff, as always. Absolutely. You're one of my favorites. You always take complicated things and make it really, really simple. And everybody, I have to tell you, the genesis of this show goes back to the 2021 International Conference on ADHD. I was listening to Dr. Olivaria speak, and he talked about, and I'm, I don't, if I'm going to botch this up, interoceptive awareness. Did I pronounce that right? That's correct. 
and it's it just really struck a nerve with me. I I think I might have heard him say it once before. I haven't heard anybody else speak of it, but as he talked about it, I'm like, this is a really big deal. So I'm grateful that you came on the show. So can we start? What is interoceptive awareness? Sure. So when we think of um, uh, you know awareness, like we think of you know there's a term proprioceptive proprioceptive awareness, which is kind of the awareness of our our body in space and in relation to other things around us. Um, with an interoceptive awareness, it really refers to the the process by which the nervous system senses, interprets. Um, integrates signals originating from within the body. So our moment-to-moment awareness and our conscious awareness of what's happening internally and in our bodies. So at the the conference, um, you know, one of the things that I often I talk about is with ADHD and, and eating, for example, um, that I had discussed the factor that people with eating disorders and people with disordered eating have very low interoceptive awareness and people with ADHD have low interoceptive awareness, which um, may be, you know, is one of the many contributing factors as to why you'll see a lot of people with ADHD um, have issues with impulsive eating and, and overeating. But when we think of that term of interoceptive awareness, it's all of the processes. So this can include kind of biological processes. So how hungry am I, how satisfied am I, um, how thirsty am I, or all this kind of sense of needing to tune in to our body, um, how are our, you know, ba- basically bathroom habits, you know, do I have to go to the bathroom, um, you know, do I need to empty my bladder now, um, we need to focus, you know, on, on those kinds of things, sleep, am I tired, am I sleepy? Have I had too much um, sleep? Do I need to get up right now? We need to tune in. Then there's this sort of other aspect to it of emotional regulation really requires a level of interoceptive awareness. Like when we ask people, and, and we could talk in this conversation about you know, what we actually do and what I actually do with patients around this, but when we even talk about emotion, we're making an assumption that there's this sort of emotional literacy that people even know what we're talking about when we say, are you feeling angry, sad, anxious? You know, there's an, an, an assumption that people know what that is because emotions are all these internal processes um, and how we feel something. And, and we have to even, A, just be able to even be aware of that and define it and know, oh, well, this feeling that I'm feeling inside corresponds to me being anxious. And then we can kind of appraise it, you know, as such. Um, so it's it's a very important process and a very important skill that really kind of, I mean, it's implicated when we think about interoceptive awareness, it's implicated not only in ADHD, but it's implicated in anxiety disorders and eating disorders and post-traumatic stress disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, With people with OCD, actually, studies show that people might have almost um, like a too high of an interoceptive awareness where they are almost like ruminating about certain internal processes, whereas with ADHD, sometimes it's more of a disconnect from that. So is there is there a low awareness and then maybe a hypo awareness or is it? Yeah, so it really in, in general that with people with ADHD, 
you'll often see more of a low interoceptive awareness, not really being as attuned to what's happening in the body. Because with ADHD, where and, and I, I say we because I have ADHD, that we are so externally oriented that I think of the ADHD brain as, you know, my orientation is what is going to stimulate me externally. And so we're almost kind of on the hunt for that external stimulation, which then means we're almost kind of not always in tune in the moment with what's mm-hmm. happening inside our bodies. Now, that's just pure ADHD. Now, we know that, for example, 30% of people with ADHD have anxiety. Now, we know with anxiety and anxiety disorders, sometimes you can see this dysregulation of interoceptive awareness. So people who, you know, might be almost like overly tuned in, you know, like I, I and, and sometimes you can see a dysregulation of that. So just from a personal level, like I'm very, uh, probably hyper attuned to my body. So the, the second that something feels off, I'm like, oh, you know, what, what's that? Yep. And, and I, I tend to run into that landscape of like health obsessionality and, and health anxiety and, and things like that. So sometimes even when it might be nothing, I'm like, oh, what, what is that? And I'm, you know, thinking about it and ruminating about it. And then there are certainly plenty of times that I'm so, I mean, when I think about myself as a child, for example, I mean, I was the kid who my legs could be twisted like a pretzel and my mom would be like, you have to, you clearly have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, because I was so (laughs) focused, (laughs) so focused on whatever it was that I was doing. And, you know, what's funny, Jeff, is, you know, I have have two children. Uh, Both of them have ADHD. And my son is 16. And I remember, I mean, this is how good old genetics that when he was three, four years old, the same thing, you know, his legs in a pretzel. I'm like, um, I think you have to go to the bathroom. He's like, what, you know, what do you mean? Like just really having no sense. And then with food, definitely like I have to learn and it's still a process of, you know, what does it mean? Like I have to tune into my body. Am I satisfied? Am I full? You know, because as I said in the presentation with people with ADHD, if the food is there, you know, I would, you know, it's almost like I would almost define I'm full by when the food is done. Yeah. Um, and that's not healthy eating, you know, that because if there's yeah. unlimited food, like if you're at a buffet, well, the food is never done. <laughs> as, I, as I found out the time I went to a buffet in college, it was yeah. not, I, it was, it was a tough experience, yeah. but that's that dysregulation. So with ADHD, you may see that. Yeah. So I want to want to go to a break and, and continue this conversation, but I do want to relate this back. Um, this is why this is really a big deal. In 2014, I did an interview with Autumn Zatani um, of Sesame Street. She was in charge of all the curriculum, the TV show, the app, the YouTube channel, et cetera. And season 43 was dedicated to self-regulation. And I had her on the show. We were talking specifically about emotional self-regulation. And what she was describing is they were using the Muppets. Uh, with preschoolers to help actually mm-hmm. identify and help kids under and discern the difference between like angry and frustrated and mad goes back to what you're talking about, that the literacy of that to help them understand what those emotions are. And the reason why I think this is really important and why I really wanted to have you on the show is when it comes to emotional self-regulation and coaching, we do a lot of go to the body because the body doesn't lie. And there's some people mm-hmm. I can, I can talk about, you know, go to the body, you can feel it. And I, I remember, one of the, I love the last election. 
um, for emotional self-regulation because when I had people that struggled with emotional self-regulation, I wanted them to practice catching themselves and calming down. If you were a Biden fan, I would send you home and have you watch Fox News. And if you were a Trump fan, I would send you home and watch CNN. And you had to sit there and kind of practice like catching your – feeling your body and calming mm-hmm. down as a, as a practice to kind of do that. And there are some people who pick up on that, but there are some people that really, 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 really struggle. And that's why I think this is a really big deal. So we want to kind of get into this a little bit more detail. Everybody, before we go, our secret word tonight is enter, like enter a door, E-N-T-E-R. And uh, Dr. Roberto Olivardia always, we give out his email address if you have any questions. It's R-O-B-E-R-T-O underscore O-L. I-V-A-R-D-I-A at hms.harvard.edu. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to ADDCA.com slash ATR. That's ADDCA.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by GigCoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great conversation, as we always do with Dr. Olivardi. I talked to him about introceptive awareness and its importance. Um, before the break, I was sharing some discussion that we had with Anam Zatani at Sesame Street some time ago. That show, while done in 2014, is relevant then as it is today, so I encourage people to go back and listen to it. But um, in order for people with ADHD to really manage themselves, this is really, really an important level of awareness in order for them to really manage and self-regulate themselves, as you have described. It seems to me that what do you, when somebody if we identify somebody struggling with this kind of what how do you work with them to help improve it or help them become aware of it absolutely so um you know i think a, a lot of what's sort of borrowed is from stuff already out there i mean there is a model known as mabt which stands for mindful awareness in body oriented therapy and what mabt basically draws from is a lot of mindfulness work um, a lot of sort of skills-based work, but um, in DBT, for example, in dialectic behavior therapy, which um, in the DBT workbook, which I, I love, is that they have, you know, a section where they break down each emotion, each, you know, primary emotion, and they'll say, these are the situations that give rise to the, this emotion. This is, you know, how people think typically with this emotion. But they have a section of these are the physical sensations that typically accompany this emotion. And that concrete language is where I start with a lot of patients. And, and, and you know, DBT, you know, was originally modeled for people with borderline personality disorder, but really it's applicable and has been shown to be empirically applicable to a lot of different issues. I borrow from that with ADHD because, you know, even to ask somebody, you know, how, how do you know when you're anxious? Um, you know, how do you feel it in your body? And a lot of times how, what we want 
individuals to do is to be able to feel their feelings, engage with them, because when we can engage with a feeling, that's when we actually have the best control over it and then therefore can do something about it. So, for example, if somebody is recognizing, oh, like my, my chest is getting tighter and my breath is getting shorter, huh, these are physical sensations that first I'm, I have to be attuned to my body. I have to, be, I have to pause to even be mindful to that and recognize that. And then I don't want to judge it. So with, with interoceptive awareness, we don't, we, there's this sort of um, self-compassion and a non-judgmental stance of not saying, oh my gosh, why is my breath short? Oh my gosh, it's okay. I'm observing that my, and this is, you know, basic mindfulness techniques that my chest is tight and my breath is, is short. And then you have techniques like, okay, I'm going to just make my breath a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. I'm going to maybe stretch my chest to, you know, widen the muscles so that they're not, you know, as, as tight. And then you start to tune in again. How do I feel now? Oh, I'm noticing my breaths are deeper. So you're reappraising it and sort of working with it. Um, you know, that's why anything, you know, when we talk about, Things like exercise, for example, which obviously we know that exercise carries a whole bunch of benefits, but this is one of those benefits that other than just the health benefits that we see with exercise, exercise really helps people just connect to their bodies more. That And a lot of folks with ADHD, we're not really always connected to our body. I mean, even if you think about you know, the, the rate of injuries, for example, amongst particularly young you know, kids and teenagers with ADHD who, and I was one of those kids that would flip over my handlebars on a bike, you know, skin my knee, break a finger, and I was on to, to the next thing, like just <laughs> kind of like not, not attuned at all. I mean, now it's funny because now I have an incredibly low pain tolerance. So again, there, here's this dysregulation. But when I was a kid, it was like, but I think part of it was there was like, the stimulation, the shiny nickel that was like, ooh, and so I could be bl gushing blood. I mean, this actually mm -hmm. happened when I was a kid, like literally from my arm and, and I'm on to the next thing. I wasn't tuned in. I wasn't connected even to the, the pain that I was experiencing, which could be dangerous as a kid. Like yes. that's, what, that's one of the reasons that we can get ourselves in very high-risk, dangerous situations because we're not tuned in the ways that other people would be tuned in to say, whoa, like this is, let me pay attention to my body. Oh, my heart is beating really yeah. fast. That might be telling me that this is a little bit risky and, and, and dangerous. Um, so with, with things like exercise, with things like yoga, with those kinds of techniques, like rather than just seeing it as, you know, all of the things that we've just been told about all the great health benefits of it. And, but to me with, with ADHD, and this is why, that that interview did that you did with the Sesame Street um, person is so key because these are skills we should be teaching from day one is how yes. do you even connect to your body to really just be with your body and then you know as, as you know Jeff I specialize in working with um, boys and men with eating disorders and and in the eating disorder community there's so much work around this because people who have distorted body image, negative body image, issues with food, they have a very, they're so disconnected from their bodies. So they, they wow. as opposed to kind of being with their bodies and, and treating their bodies well and with compassion and, you know, as opposed to this other thing, like this, this 
in the case of people, let's say, with very poor body image, they might look at themselves as this just aesthetic object that's so external as opposed to, oh, no, I'm inhabiting this thing. I mean, there's almost this kind of, I mean, it sounds almost spiritual in some ways, but it, it really, and it does because it does, again, draw from a mindfulness landscape of being in yourself and feeling that. And that's, that's a tough thing to do for people with ADHD. Wow. I'm having a huge aha and huge flashback. As I used to say, when I was a kid, I knew the people in the <laughs> x-ray room on a first name basis. Cause I was in there every 90 days for something. Um, mm-hmm. I broke like a, a leg or something, but I, I mean, I was, I was, as they say, accident prone. And I don't really think I had a lot of awareness, but I started, I was, I was active, but I really started exercising swimming. And I remember swimming four hours a day. And, you know, when you're swimming four hours a day, your mind wanders, but you get tuned in to how your body feels along the way. And I remember in college Absolutely. walking into, and I also used to get strep throat a lot. I used to walk into the clinic and say, I think I got strep throat. And they would run the test. Back in those days, you had to wait a day. And it would come back negative. But I would go in the next day, and like, I, I'm telling you, I got it. And the second day, they would run it, and it would come back positive. I mean, that happened a number of occasions. It's also yeah. interesting to me that I got kind of tuned in later in life when I was going to – I noticed after I would go to U.S. Nationals or Olympic trials, I would come home, and I was like – I would this feeling of depression that got, came over me, and I was like, what is this? And I began to realize that it always followed at the end of some heightened event, some big thing that I had been working on for a period of time. And it was weird because mm-hmm. I began to realize that was a normal motion for me, and I – I coined it post-trip blues or what I call post-event blues. And it's this thing that I, when it happens, I know that it's going to happen when it's over with. I expect it. And while it's there, I don't invite it for tea. So while I still feel depressed, I, I don't get more depressed. I, it's, just, it's like it's over there. It's like an object. Oh, there it is. It's going to be gone in three yep. days. And it's weird because yep. it's, I, I notice it's kind of coming in. And the reason I'm having an aha is I remember when I was a kid, I was oblivious to all that stuff. And athletics, I think, kind of helped me tuned in as a kind of therapy, if you will, of the stuff that I was doing to kind of help me hone in on that stuff. And I'm really starting to understand why this is such a big deal for people with ADHD. And it's not talked about that much. Absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with, I mean, the value of athletics and, and sports. I mean, my my son, he's 16, he plays football. And I did not want him playing football prior to ninth grade because I was fearful of concussions uh-huh. and he has ADHD. And, um, and, and when he did start playing football, it really, his awareness of his body, because you, it's, there's, it's choreography. I mean, like we, yes. you know, I did, I'm not a big football. I'm a music person. I'm not a football person. And so when he learned that it was a huge learning curve and thinking, wow, this is like choreography and like how <laughs> you have to move and how you have to move your body. And I was like, this is really good. Like in terms of, yep. and I could see sort of just this, this connection in that way, like for you swimming, you have to move your body I mean, there's a choreography to it in terms and a yep. rhythm that you have to get into to be able to do that. Um, but absolutely. I mean, when we think about just even health, like I grew up, I, I was very prone to getting laryngitis throughout my life. I mean, so much that I, I personify a lots of things in my, in my life, Jeff, and one of them is laryngitis. I call them Larry. <laughs> and for people who know my good friends and family, a lot of them who may be listening to this know that when I'm like, oh my gosh, Larry's coming to town, like, 
And in what would happen was I would just it would and now if you asked me ten years ago I would say yep I get laryngitis and yeah I'm a talker and and whatnot I've had it since I was a kid it would get so bad to the point where I would lose my completely lose my voice I mean one time I could not talk for three full days um, my vocal you know cords would swell up and oh like but I would talk about it as if it was this thing that just happened to me mm-hmm. and it was probably. I mean, definitely within the time I started going to ADHD conferences. So we're not talking that long ago, maybe in the last like eight years that I finally, like finally got a handle of this and realized, oh, wait a minute. It's not that just Larry just pops up one day. It's Mm -hmm. that when I started tuning in to the, the, you know, a day where I would notice this little like kind of itch in my throat Yep. And rather than either in the past, I just wouldn't even notice it, or I would notice it and ignore it and say, oh, well, whatever, you know, and it, yep. I wouldn't change my sleep habits. I wouldn't change anything. And then I was like, you know what, what if I paid attention to this right now and em- employed all of the techniques that I would typically do when I get, when I'm in the real deep throes of laryngitis, gargle with salt, drink some hot tea. Go, the most important thing, Jeff, is I have to go to bed like early, yes. and yep. I never did that. I would run my body in, and <laughs> and then lo and behold, and so when is the last time I had laryngitis? Larry has not been to town in many years because I now catch it, yep. and I think to myself, why didn't I do this years ago? Like what I was so. And yet there are other things, as I mentioned, that I am highly attuned to in terms of my body that my doctor, you know, when I met my my new physician because my other one retired who I loved and I loved my new doctor. And I said to him, I said, look, I just I'm going to just be honest with you that I can be a little bit obsessive, you know, as it it turns into um, with with health and stuff like that, because I really do have a high value of living a very healthy life and I want to live to a hundred. Like, yep. and I, I'm, yep. I'm saying that in all seriousness, um, I have longevity in, in my family. And, and so I really should, like, if I just take care of myself. Um, so yet here are these things that I might be calling the doctor for that are just like, I don't know, like a little eczema because yep. it's dry out or something. And then here's this thing that would really affect me. I mean, laryngitis is an occupational hazard for me. Like, I mean, I yeah. would literally have to cancel patients because I couldn't talk. And and it was only within, I don't know, the last eight years or so that I finally cracked this code that now I laugh at. And I think this was not that difficult. Yep. Because if I, if I was just tuned in, and and acted on what I was tuned into, it would have changed the whole course of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Tell you what, I need to go to break real quick and come back. I want to come back. I want to talk about my, my perspective of this particular area. If you have ADHD and some of the challenges about kind of getting there, uh, we're going to go to break. Everybody, the uh, secret word tonight is enter, like enter the room. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. 
Are you always late? The TimeTimer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, TimeTimer's bright red disc disappears. Visit TimeTimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay, do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a spectacular interview with Dr. Roberto Olivardia about introceptive awareness. Awareness of internal stimulation, if you will, oversimplified. You know, Dr. Olivaria, when I look at this, I look at everything else um, that's really good for people with ADHD. Uh, uh, Brett Thornhill once coined the non-med meds, which is really good for you, meditation, exercise, diet, and sleep. <clears throat> and what I, mm-hmm. what I realized on all those, they're all great for people with ADHD, but they're all hard because they require self-regulation. you got to pause and override yep. the urge. Like when I'm coaching people on sleep, the you're supposed to put your head down. It's supposed to take 15 minutes for you to fall asleep, and that's the most boring period of the day. And people with ADHD, they can't see. They leap out of bed, and they do stuff, and I find that they end up passing out out of exhaustion. So I do a lot of what can we find that you can pay attention like It's like, um, like a Post-it note, right? It's sticky enough to stick to the wall, but it won't take the pain off. In other words, it'll hold your attention mm. enough to surrender. So your brain will surrender itself to sleep, but not so stimulating, won't let go. And I come to this particular thing because this is – this requires some self-regulation to pause, and from what Lydia Zalowski and other people I've talked to on mindfulness, it's to be present in that moment and take an inventory of your body, which is kind of hard to do, and it takes self-regulation to pause and check in with yourself. What are your thoughts on that? That's absolutely true, that what we're trying to do and in the skills um, you know, that I work with patients around is, is really with this is we're trying to develop this focus on our immediate feelings and our sensations, which are very adaptive, but we don't, we want to be aware of what we're actually tuning into versus this sort of abstract rumination or obsessing or thinking so much about those sensations. So for example, like with sleep, which is very common for people with ADHD to have a hard time falling asleep, that we want them to be attentive to, okay, let's focus on our breath. But once the person with ADHD is thinking, I'm not sleeping yet. Why aren't I sleeping? Oh, this is so boring. <laughs> well, now, now they're in their head and they're not really in their body, you know, and that's what we would say, like, that's what happens a lot, let's say, you know, with, with rumination or, you know, more severe forms, like with people with obsessive compulsive disorders, that it's so heady, but they're disconnected you know, from from kind of just what's happening in their body that right now, and, and I'm just breathing and this is what I'm doing. And it, yes, I'm not asleep right now, but let me tune into what's happening sort of in, in the moment. And it's also important to be aware of too, that, you know, with ADHD, as well as you'll see this with uh, people who experience trauma, that there's some, an anxiety that there's sometimes there's this threatening um, aspect for a lot of people of being in their body, you know, so here we're talking about, you know, all these mindfulness skills of getting people to be connected to and aware mm-hmm. and assuming that this is what they, 
um, not only what they want consciously, but what they want unconsciously, but also being aware that, you know, people with ADHD, we don't like to feel bad. You know, we're pleasure seekers <laughs> that we, yeah. we really, really don't like to feel, I mean, no one likes to feel bad, but we really don't like to feel bad. And so when, let's say, what you're supposed to be tuning into is, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now, um, yep. there, you'll see not only a lack of interoceptive awareness, but a willful resistance to you know, not being interoceptively uh, aware because it's like, oh, that's un- I don't want to feel uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. I want to escape. Certainly with trauma, this happens a lot, you know, with people who experience trauma that being in their body could feel very threatening, especially if the nature of their trauma included, like in the case of like sexual assault, you know, includes their their body sort of inhabits, you know, the trauma. And that's where you're also teaching skills of, well, in order, we need to feel, we need to feel our emotions. We need to engage with those internal sensations to get mastery over them. And that um, what happens is that the more we disconnect, the more we disconnect, the more we're actually making that feeling, that sensation that right now feels a little scary, we're actually making it bigger and scarier mm-hmm. and more frightening. And eventually, two, one of two things happen. Either you're just going to then have like a total panic attack um, because it's almost like you're so disconnected from the emotions or you're so anxious about being anxious that that's what panic is. Panic is not an emotion. Panic is the result of not feeling and, and trying to avoid an emotion. Rage is not an emotion. Rage is when we're trying to not feel angry or frustrated. Mm-hmm. Depression is not an emotion. Depression is the result of, you know, feeling um, so much, you know, sadness, anger, frustration mm-hmm. that we're so we're kind of disconnected from it. So we want people to know, yes, you, you can feel this. And actually by feeling it and engaging it and then by incorporating these skills, these things become less scary because yep. one root is the panic and these uncontrollable expressions. And the other root is just a total numbness that you just start to feel nothing yep. after a while. And a numb, and that is also not good. I mean, for a yep. number of, of reasons. So just to bring this kind of full circle, everybody, if you listen to me a lot, you hear me talk a lot about Dr. Russell Barkley's construct of ADHD and his executive function one of his defined parts is emotional regulation. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is how an emotion is a reflexive reaction. When you feel threatened with your life, you go to reflexively to fight, fight, or freeze. And Dr. Olivari said you feel threatening. When you feel that, again, you're just reflexive reacting, getting into this defensive mode and working with people with ADHD to kind of like kind of pause. Number one, awareness helps. And these discussions help so that people kind of are aware of sometimes of what's going on so that they can try to engage in these types of things to gain some of this awareness that they need to, in order to kind of manage this. So it's, it's like sometimes, Dr. Oliver, I think it's just like this wet knot that you're trying to undo of all these different things that are they're individually we talk about them, but they're kind of all related at the same time. Make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and we, you also know for people with ADHD that we're – you know, we have these sensitive nervous systems at the same time. So even when we think about like sensory issues and things that, you know, distract us that 
um, you know, that is tuning in also to how am, am I feeling? Um, you know, like I, I don't like the cold at all, Jeff. Like, I, I mean, I love, yep. I live in Boston. I'm a Bostonian. I will always be in Boston. <laughs> um, but I have equator genes is what I said. <laughs> well, my mom was Brazilian and my dad was from Panama. Like I love the heat. So when I am cold, like I just, I am very, very distracted. Like when I'm cold, like I just feel um, more so than I know other people would. Whereas the heat, it would have to be sickeningly humid for me to be distracted. Like I could be hot and pr- pretty much be okay. You know, I'm, I'm more comfortable like in the heat. So that's important for me to understand about myself. So let's say if I'm going to um, like I remember when, as a family, we went to Washington D.C. Uh, some years ago, and we went in August, where it was super hot and humid outside. But I read, you know, online that the museums are very, very cold because they have to keep the artifacts, you know, to, you know, is is. So they said, bring a sweater, even if it's a hundred degrees outside, because inside the museums are very, very cold, and that was not only important for me to read, but it was important for me to then say, oh, I'm one of those people that I, if I'm cold, I'm going to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. And my experience <laughs> in these museums is not going to be fun. I'm going to be so distracted by just shivering and being cold. My daughter is a fellow, you know, equator gene um, per offspring. And so her and I, we brought like these heavy sweaters. I mean, we we would walk to the museum with them like, you know, not wearing them because it was super humid and hot. But, oh, when we got in the museum, I put on my comfy sweater and I enjoyed those museums so much. But I had to first recognize that in myself. And that's what, yep. you know, a lot of people have a hard time doing. And, and I, I, it pains me when I work with patients who have these experiences and whether it's vacations or at work and they're like, oh, it was ruined because of, X, Y, and Z, and it turns out it was something that they weren't really totally attuned to in terms of yep. what their body might need in that moment to ground them. Absolutely. So this explains why whenever I see a conference, and everybody, if you haven't if you haven't been around Dr. Oliver, he's dressed to the nines when he's presenting, but the rest of the time he's walking around <laughs> sweatpants with a hoodie. So I'm like, it's just trying to stay warm. <laughs> so now I'm doing that. Um, I need to kind of pull this a little bit to the close, but one of the reasons I wanted to have this on was to, to bring awareness of that self-awareness of your body. Uh, it does require you to pause and take inventory. This is very much a mindfulness type um, topic where you pause, you be present for some of this stuff. As a coach, my recommendation on this stuff is is if you're going to do this, and I, I highly suggest that you do, just don't think I should sit down and do this. You're going to have to combine it with something else. Or do it in a way that's somewhat um, exciting or something. I, like When it comes to straight-up exercise, I remember people, 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 people. I always do it with somebody if you can. Um, try to find a tape that would go through them. But you begin to think of, if I'm going to do these types of things, how can I do it? What would be the easiest way for me to do it? And what would be the most fun way of doing it? Don't just sit there, i got to sit down and make this thing happen because I think you'll, you'll, you'll have good intentions, but you'll have some difficulty with it. So as we close thing out, any last nuggets or anything last to say before we uh, adjourn? Dr. Olivar? Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. I mean, for me, music is definitely the thing that I that totally grounds me and connects me, you know, in, mm-hmm. in my body. And and it wasn't it that's not even something that I would have articulated when I was young, but looking back, even how I experience music is very visceral, 
very, you know, um, you know, it, it, may, it just connects me sort of in, internally. Um, but, yeah, for anyone who's listening to this, I would, um, you know, recommend that people, you know, th- these exercises are not complicated exercises in the pers- from the perspective of, you know, even if you take five minutes and just close your eyes and just kind of almost scan your body from head to toe and, like, what, what is – what am I feeling? How am I holding my shoulders right now? Do I feel tightness? Do I feel lightness? Is my heart beating really fast? Am I perspiring? And, and almost like just an objective reporter that you don't want to judge it. Um, And, and think about sort of scenarios in which, because even with things like when we get, excuse me, when we get headaches or when we is to understand that there's this, this, and now this kind of chain analysis that we can go down to say, well, at what moment did that headache maybe begin? And maybe yep. the headache, like I have found, Jeff, that when I get a headache, I, I don't get headaches often. When I get them, they're completely the result of me ignoring or not tuning in to a bunch of bodily cues beforehand. Either uh-huh. I'm too, I'm hungry and I'm not, I haven't eaten. I should have been in bed some, you know, hours ago or have not been sleeping well, or I'm very stressed and I'm not attuning to my body to recognize I need to slow down. Um, every time I get a headache, it comes down to those three things. Yep. And, you know, and then when I think, okay, if I just attune and in, am in more aware of those, we have much more control than we think, you know, we do over these things. Obviously there's some things about our genetics and hormones and things like that. We don't have control over. And at the same time, we have a lot more control than we think we do yes. over these things. Cries awareness, a little bit of practice and skills, et cetera. So as always, Dr. Arlo Lavardia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Always learn something. Everybody, our secret word is enter. If you have questions, Dr. Olivarius, email R-O-B-E-R-T-O underscore O-L-I-V-A-R-D-I-A at hms.harvard.edu. With that, we hope you've enjoyed it. Catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care.